0: Titus chapter number two, Titus chapter number two, we've been working our way through the book of Titus, on just in different services, but here lately on Sunday mornings, so I want to look back there today, last week we talked about uh, God's grace uh, in verse number 10 of chapter two, uh, we, or excuse me, verse number 11 from chapter two. That verse says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And we talked about God's grace being a sovereign grace because it's of God. It's His grace and it's a gift that He bestows, gives to us freely. It's a, it's a sovereign grace. And then uh, we talked about it being a saving grace. It says that bringeth salvation. It's God's grace that brings salvation to us. Salvation is that gift of God. It's the gift that he gives to us and it comes by our faith in him and us trusting in what he's done, his finished work. It's not anything that we do but it's what he's done. Not only did we see it was sovereign grace and saving grace but we Notice that it was sufficient grace, it says it is to all men, it hath appeared to all men. That doesn't mean all men will be saved, but the opportunity to receive God's grace, His saving grace, uh, is for all men. So we talked about those things last week. We're going to look in verse number 12 today. Verse number 12, the Bible says, Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, you have to take the whole thing, verse 11 through uh, 14 and verse 15, uh, really, but through verse 14 especially, uh, is one thought. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, God's grace is available for everybody. God's grace teaches us some things in verse 12. In verse 13 he says, "Looking, He said we should live a certain way in this world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. There's so much in here, is why you have to preach just a little bit every week. Uh, but you want to just preach it all at one time? Uh, I could, uh, but y'all would y'all get all restless here about two or three o'clock, and you would done be forgot what I said when I started. Uh, so uh, that's why we have to break it up. But I love this portion of scripture. I love what God's Word teaches us here. Uh, the, these, uh, this is meat and potato stuff now. Uh, so if you're If you're a new Christian or if you've been saved all your life, but you don't read your Bible much and you don't pray much and you really don't have much of a walk with the Lord, you know, some of this, you might have a little trouble with it, but this is good stuff. This is where we live right here. So in verse 11, like I say, we we learned about God's grace last week, how it's sovereign, saving, sufficient. But I want you, just just one thing today, uh, there's more than one point in the message, but just uh, one part of the theme going along with that uh it is sanctifying grace it's sanctifying grace. Verse twelve, the Bible says that it teaches us god's grace is what teaches us how how do we learn things you know I just had the opportunity to have a few days away and uh, this is twenty three years now. me and some friends of mine have been taking this time of the year away and getting off out uh, in the woods. And I don't want to waste a lot of time, my preaching time this morning, telling stories about that. Maybe some other time we can do that. Uh, but in in that time, I, I, there were some things I learned uh, this year, some things that the Lord helped me with and some things the Lord uh, showed me uh, this year uh, about God's grace and about the fact that it's a teaching grace. God teaches us by His grace. When, when Paul, we, we hear this phrase all the time and we know the context of it. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians uh, that God told him, My grace is sufficient. You know, Paul's wanting God to change something in his life. God, I need this to be different. And, you know, people can speculate all they want to about what it was, but nobody but God and Paul knows. But whatever it was doesn't matter. Paul wanted it to be different, and God said no. How many of us ever had something like that in our life? But what did God say? He said, my grace is sufficient. And grace teaches us things. It teaches us how to live, and it teaches us when to live the way we're supposed to live. We find that all right here in this one verse. So this morning, when we realize that God's grace is a sanctifying grace, that, that means it teaches us how we're supposed to be as God's children. Let's just look at the verse. We'll take the, the last part first this morning. God's grace teaches us when to live. At the end of the verse, the Bible says there that we're to live a certain way in This present world. In the world of the ungodly. In the wickedness that we live in. In the perilous times that Paul talked about when he wrote to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's where we're supposed to live this way at. In this present world. It's not something that's going to happen later. God didn't save us just to sit here on a pew and soak up a few things or come to church or skip church when we don't feel like going to church or just you know do what we want to do God saved us for a reason he saved us for a purpose he called us unto himself for a purpose and Jesus gives us the basic of that purpose in Matthew 5 when he says ye are the salt of the earth he doesn't say you will be or you should be or you ought to be he said you are He said, you are the light of the world. So if this dark, wicked, foul, terrible world is ever going to have any kind of resistance to the disease of sin, where is it going to come from? Salt, the salt of the earth, the Christians. God's people have to live a certain way, and they have to live a certain way now. Not a hundred years from now, not in the kingdom I'm so sick and tired of this whole kingdom business. The kingdom living, kingdom this, kingdom that. Well, the kingdom's not coming until after there's been seven years of tribulation on this earth, and I won't be here during that. Now, if you want to live here and be mad at me for preaching it this way this morning, that's okay. I don't care. You stay here and live that way. But the kingdom... Is when Jesus Christ comes and sets up his throne and rules and reigns on this earth for a thousand years, and God restores the Jewish people uh, like he said he would do. That's what the kingdom's all about. And it's time we quit dabbling around with half truths and things that don't really matter, and we get sober about what God's Word says. And he said right here his grace teaches us when to live. And it's now. God's people to live for God now. Not later, not when we want to, not 20 years down the road, not after we've lived for ourselves for a few years. I just said this is 23 years me and these men have been going together once a year on this outing, this camping trip that we go on. And I've watched. For 23 years, as a group of men have tried their best to live for God in this present world. And I've seen some of them fall by the wayside over the 23 years. Seen some of them make bad choices. Seen some of them just be nominal about serving God. Be hit or miss about how they would live for the Lord. Seen them throw their homes away, throw their lives away for a few minutes of pleasure. And their kids suffer through divorce and all the terrible things that all that brings. Then I've watched others faithfully by God's grace for 23 years just live for Him one day at a time, in this present world. And I've seen the impact that their lives have had on other people and those around them. And how God's used them in the business world and in the jobs that they have and in the ministries that they have and the things that they do to be salt and to be light. One can make a difference. Because they're all just one. We're only a group when we come together once a year. They're all just one. And they make a difference in their world. God's grace teaches us that we're to live now in this present world. The lawless world. The lost world. Just the filthy, wicked world. A a world that's full of uh, unbiblical principles and unbiblical precepts. A a world that's full of lust. A world that's... uh, it's never satisfied. I tell you, it's probably going to be better for me that I never watch another Alabama football game. And this is not about sports. It's not about being a fan of one team or the other team. But you mark my word, if the Lord don't come back in the next 20 years, it's, there's going to be so much debauchery going on in those stadiums like that. They'll have, they'll have luxury skyboxes that are nothing more than brothels and liquor stores. The very first game they televised from that stadium, the, the announcers on the TV, the, the, the paid announcers on the nationwide TV broadcast, three or four times referred to that place as just like a bar. Got the lights and the noise and all. It's just like a party. Just like a bar. And that's where the world worships. I guarantee you out of that 100,000 people last night, there's probably not 10,000 of them in a church somewhere this morning. But the vast majority probably claim Christianity. It's a wicked world that we live in. I can't even stand to watch it. And it's not about the teams. But that's what it, we we worship at the feet of that mess. And to see all that flashing light. People say, well, how, how do they know? They've been in bars. They know what they look like. They knew when they called it out in that very first game what it was like. And I may be the preacher here today, but I've been in a bar or two in my life. I'm not proud of it, but I have. And that's exactly what it's like. That's the atmosphere that it's like. And it's nothing but wicked. We love it. The world loves it. You think that it's going to stop right there? No, the next one's going to have to be as big or prettier than that one in the next town. And then the next town, and then the next town. And then before long, every other stadium will be that way. We worship at the God of entertainment. God said, we're supposed to live a certain way now in this present world. What did Mark say in chapter 8? He said, for what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? But too many of God's people are living for the world today. They're, They're living in the world for the world. We're supposed to live in the world but not of the world. We're not supposed to be like the world. So he, he tells us here, God's grace teaches us when we're to live, and that's now. Well, why is it important about now? There's no guarantee of tomorrow. There's none. Now, you, you may live to be 100 years old, and, and God bless you if you do. But you may not live to see tomorrow. may not you could get sick and die you could go out of this parking lot this afternoon car come around this road right here not see you running about 75 or 80 and blindside you knock you off down there on hole number one at the golf course and it would be over for you you never know what's going to happen the time is now and let's look very quickly well we're not going to be real quick but at at how we're supposed to live. He says, God's grace teaches us uh, that there is a way His people should live. It, It challenges you and I to live a certain way in the world that we live in. Number one, we see there that we're to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. To deny ungodliness and worldly lust. I'll just be real basic about what deny means. It means to disown. To disown. It means I used to, but I don't anymore. Because we all used to, didn't we? Yes, sir. Amen, preacher. Didn't we just read in Ephesians last week where Paul said, And you once were, we once were. So I used to be, but I'm not anymore. That's what it means when we deny things. Two things, he said, ungodliness and worldly lust. Worldliness is a a disregard for God and and the things of God and the commands of God. We neglect to worship God and we live more uh, for wickedness and disobedience in the world than living things that please God and please Him can Christian people do that? sure they can sure they can, I see it every day people live ungodly lives, it's called carnality carnal Christians they're not lost, they're saved they're on their way to heaven, but they're carnal that's ungodly they live an ungodly life we're not supposed to be that way, we're to deny Ungodly things We're to get away from those things Paul wrote about a man named Demas When he wrote to Timothy didn't he He said Demas hath what Forsaken me Having loved this present world He said Demas loves the world more Than he loves God and doing the things of God And he's forsaken me and went back home Timothy There's a lot of good Christian people That are that way you don't think so? Look around. There used to be people sitting in these empty spaces in these church pews. And aren't here anymore. 1966, 53 years. 53 years. There's been some people come and go in 53 years, haven't they? Why? They like the world more than they like the things of God. What do we do? We get mad and throw rocks at them and call them ugly names? No, we ought to hit our knees and shed some tears over them. Pray God to get a hold of their heart and get them back in church. they would be living right and doing right. But we're to deny ungodliness. We're to deny worldly lust, the, the things of this world that, that pull us away. Are all the things of the world bad? No. Well, I mean, Mark was talking about the mountains. And that's, I, I, I go to an undisclosed location. It's so undisclosed the cell phones don't even work there. It's, if my wife needs me, I have to go call her. But she does know how to send the rescue people to where we are if we're needed for an emergency. They're beautiful, and that's where I just came from, It's up in those mountains. It's not, it's not worldly to go there and do that, but if I did that 26 out of the 52 weeks, then what would I be doing? Be worshiping the worldliness of the beauty of the mountains, wouldn't I? I'd be neglecting my responsibilities and my duties as a husband and a father an employee well I work for myself so I guess and an employer Did you understand worldliness we just think of things in black and white wickedness and terrible things but there's things of the world that just pull us away from God We, we hey football games we sit in front of a TV four hours and watch a football game on TV Bless God, we won't spend 40 minutes reading our Bible. Amen, preacher, that's good. I, I've had to bring an amen tape over here and leave it. So I can have a little help every now and then. But we, you know I'm telling the truth this morning. Worldliness is not just, just wickedness out there. It's just things that keep us from God. And it happens to all of us. If we're not careful, we won't be denying those things. Was that Tell ourselves no. Tell myself no. We, we can't do that. It's not right. God says there are certain things that are wrong. We know. But then those things that are okay, they become, later on in the book of Hebrews, Paul writes they become weights. Chapter 12, let us lay out every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. All of us have one particular thing we struggle with and battle with in life. But then there's other things in our life that just weigh us down if we're not careful. We have to learn to deny those things in our life. So it teaches us to deny ungodliness. It teaches us to deny worldly lust. But then God's grace teaches us to live soberly. To live soberly. What does that mean? It means that we just yield ourselves to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our life. We're in the world, like I said, but we're not of the world. We, we live soberly. We live in control. That's what it means to be sober-minded, in control. People talk about humility and, and, and the humility of Christ and, and us as Christians being humble. It, it's, it's not something you do, it's something that you are. It, it, it's something that just comes out of you. It's like an aroma. It, it's, a, it's a smell. Humility is like a sweet smell. It, it's something that we just are. It's not something you try to do. It's just something you, you, are, you either are or you aren't. And as Christians, we're supposed to be. So what does it mean to be humble? Uh, uh, this, it's kind of along the lines of meekness you ever heard this meekness is not weakness meekness is the ability to harness and and to take under control great power Jesus the son of God isn't he Jesus is God isn't he Jesus God the father the holy spirit they're all one right even if you don't understand all that God said that he gave Jesus Christ that he had all the power that God had, what? Bodily. He could do anything he wanted to, anytime he wanted to. didn't matter. He had all the power. But did he use it? Did he ever get cross with people? Did he ever get mean to anybody? Did he ever cuss anybody out? Did he ever rant and rave, fuss and holler, scream and yell? He got all the power in the world to do anything he wanted to do, didn't he? But he always kept it under control. That's the key. That meekness is the key to humility. And that being a part of us. Being sober-minded. it means we stay in control of things. We stay in control of situations. We stay in control of our faculties and our emotions and who we are and how we live and what we do. That's what it means... To live soberly. We're not excess in things. We know how to possess our bodies and keep ourselves. We know how to limit ourselves. We know how to master things and and be in control of things. Mainly our own self. That's what it means to live soberly. My passions don't rule me or control me. We know when to say no. There's some things like we just talked about. They're not sinful. They're not wicked, are they? But they can become idols in our life if we don't know how to soberly control those things. If we don't know how to limit those things in our life. Like I said, nothing wrong with watching a football game. But if you spend four hours watching football and you can't invest four hours serving God, then you're not being sober in your thinking. You're not limiting your entertainment and your pleasure. You don't have the right balance in your life. You spend three or four hours on Facebook and you don't read your Bible, you don't pray, you don't call a neighbor, you don't check on somebody, you don't love others, you don't do something kind during the day, or the, you're not investing, you don't live for God, then you're out of balance. You're, you're living for the world, you see. Sober-minded. And he said to live righteously. We're to live righteously. That's just. In accordance with the Word of God and the things of God. That's what it means right? righteously. Righteously. You can simplify it. It's just doing good. Doing good to everybody all the time. Do what you know is right. My son coaches basketball team, high school junior varsity and varsity basketball team for the Homeschool Association. And when he first started playing, their coach uh, taught them, and I don't know, he probably got it from somebody else somewhere, but he taught them one phrase, two words, next play. Next play. Basketball is a fast-moving game. You don't have time to cry over spilt milk. You don't have time to whine about a missed shot or a, a foul that didn't get called. You've got to move on. You've got to put it behind you. Just, just simply the next play. Things happen in life, don't they? You know what? Just move on. Do right. Just do the next right thing. As they began, you know, over the years now, as he's grown up through that, in that program, that's just, that's just stuck in my mind. Just do the next right thing. You might mess up today, but do the next right thing. Somebody might do you wrong today, but just do the next right thing. It's just right living. Just living before God right. Helping others, being kind to others. I mean, this is just, isn't this easy stuff? I told you it was going to be hard. I was sucking you in make you pay attention. But it's easy, isn't it? We all know this, don't we? Here's the last thing he said. We're to live soberly, we're to live righteously, but we're to live godly. To live godly. What does that mean? It means we carry about it with us an attitude of reverence. I mean, you know, I like to think that uh, God has a sense of humor. You know, I, I look around sometimes and I see some of the creatures that he made. I mean, have y'all ever seen some of them things out in the woods? I mean, they're so ugly, a mama couldn't even love them. But God made them for a reason. And either he's got a sense of humor or their, their appearance protects them from something. I, I ain't got a clue. But he did it for a reason. So, you know, even though God wants us to have fun and have a sense of humor, we're to live. With a, with, with, we have to live with an element of reverence in our life. That's what it means to, to live godly. That attitude of, of reverence and, and decency, respect, obedient. You know, kids nowadays, they don't say yes ma'am and no ma'am. Yes sir and no sir. You know. Yeah, mine will. They know. My oldest son, he'll tell you right now, if I'm ever around and he don't do it right, he knows that it won't just be over and there won't be nothing said or done. But they don't make, you know, those are things you instill in them when they're two, three, four, five, six months old before they can ever even talk. And then they hear mom and daddy. I still to this day tell people, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir, thank you, please. May I, you know. And that's how they learn it reverence, decency, respect. That's what it means to live godly. We've we've lost an element of godliness off the land. Not talking about holier than now, church religiosity. Not talking about, you know, that kind of stuff. We're just talking about decency, common decency. What about holding the door open for somebody? That could be considered godly living because that's respect. That's reverent to let somebody go in front of you. They're, They're little simple things, but that's what makes us who we are. We get so busy and we get so caught up. Well, bless God, preacher. I read four chapters this week in my Bible and I spent... 48 minutes praying and I didn't do nothing bad well great did you do something good for somebody did you say a kind word to somebody you see what I'm saying reading our Bible and praying is important stuff but that's not living he said we're to live outside in the world in this present world We're to live soberly. Have your mind and wits about you and and control how you live out there. Righteously. Just live right. Do the next right thing. Don't worry about what somebody else did. Don't worry if you made a mistake. Just do the next right thing. And then godly. We're to live godly in this present world. Respect people. Treat people with respect. Treat people like you want to be treated. If, if I started treating a lot of people that I'm involved with a lot, if I started treating them like they treat people, boy, they'd get mad. They'd get real mad. If I talked to them the way they talked to people, if I acted toward them the way they acted toward people, you know, that, that's what he said. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. God's grace teaches us to live soberly, righteously, and godly right now. Not tonight, not next week, not the week after next, but in this present world. That's how he wants us to live. Are you living that way? Are you close to the Lord? Are you walking with him? If we are, you know what? People are notice people will, will be interested in it the holy spirit will will speak to their heart and they will notice those things and it'll lead to a conversation it'll lead to a phone call a text or something hey could you help me with this what is it about that where do you go to church i promise you it'll create an opportunity For you to either witness and share the gospel with them or to invite them to church where they can grow more and learn more in the faith they may already have. You know, you can go to a lot of churches in this area, all over the place. You find very few that preach and teach the truth of God's word. They're all into some self-help Bible study, this hot thing and that hot thing. But very rarely do they just get in the book Preach and teach the book. And then go out and live it. People are looking for something that's real. The only place they're going to find it is in you and in me. Because they'll never come in here until they see it in us out there. And then when they do, they'll want whatever it is that we have. All right? Let's pray together. Father, we love you today. And we're thankful that we have the opportunity to be in your house Lord, this morning was just, Lord, it was kind of simple, kind of easy. God, it's what you had for us. And, Lord, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for what it does in our life. Thank you, God, that your grace is available for anybody that needs it. Lord, not just saving grace, Lord, but grace that sustains us, grace that's sufficient for daily living, grace that, Lord, whatever it is that we need, God, your grace can take care of it. Lord, I just pray this morning. There's one that's not here that doesn't know you, Lord I pray today, God, that uh, before it's too late They would come to know you They would come to saving faith And they could accept the free gift of your grace God, we not preach the gospel this morning, Lord But there could be somebody here that's never been saved Would you just speak to their heart today And encourage them, Lord Let them know that we would love to have the opportunity to Take time to show them, Lord, what it's all about God, there may be some here this morning that are saved. God, they're just just walking, but we're not walking as close to you as we should. Or maybe we're not living in these areas like we should. Lord, would you just help us to to get closer to you, Lord, to, to use up some of that grace that you've extended our way. God, it covers a multitude of sins. God, would you just help us this morning to draw closer to you. Lord, we'll give you praise and we'll give you honor for everything that you do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to stand up with me. Joan, would you come up here and help me this morning? You're a little bit closer. Mark's back there in the back. Uh, Grace, what? let's find that in the book. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, not amazing grace. Yeah, it's grace.